So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta podcast. The Active Atlanta podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta, and welcome back to the Active Atlanta Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Jake Soar, and today, y'all, we have somebody who is uh, going to be a really fun conversation. I'm really excited to dive a little bit deeper into what all uh, this person does, because she does a ton, man, from personal training, small group training. She's been the stunt double for Bella Thorne. She's worked on Marvel and DC shows as a stunt worker. Uh, she's she's a dance instructor, as well as doing some really cool non-traditional gym training, like uh, outdoor conditioning and boxing Guys, a true jack of all trades. So um, we have Aaron McDevitt with us today, the owner and founder of Aaron Naturally, um, and just super talented. Can't wait to talk to her more. So Aaron, thank you so much for getting on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Put up like that. Like, wow, thank you. Thanks for I know, like- right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got to got to pump us up a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, get us ready for the podcast. But uh, no, I mean, it's super easy to bring up some of that stuff because truly like, I mean, you are, um, and I mean this in the best of ways, you are all over the place, man. Like, uh, you have, um, how do you fit it all in? So let's start off with this, right? So run me through, like, what did your typical schedule look like being able to offer so many services like that? Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely has taken time to try to nail it down. Um, I think growing up with, um, you know, a background in one thing, but then as I got older, having a more diverse background in lots of things, um, it's been hard for me to find a niche. And, um, I think that that almost is a niche in itself being able to say that I can offer this and I can offer this and I have a background in this and I also have some of this. Um, and so I'm still working on trying to say exactly what it is that I am and what I have to offer. Um, but yeah, in terms of scheduling, I used to, I used to really take clients whenever clients could come to me and like, as my schedule got busier and, you know, just focusing on priorities and where, I wanted to operate my business and grow it. Um, it's turned into thankfully now five days a week instead of six. Um, so I do Tuesday through Saturday, personal training, usually in the mornings. Um, thankfully I don't have right now a start before 7am. I usually start at seven. Um, I think I have one person maybe that starts at six 30, but, um, 7am to around 3pm. Some days I get off earlier. Um, just depends on the clients. Um, those are all usually solo personal training sessions. And then on Saturday mornings, I teach a women's strength and conditioning class at the gym that I work at training collective. Um, Thursday evenings, I teach a dance class. It's just an open movement class. And then um, all of those other off hours, um, I tend to take one like recuperation day, which is on Sundays. And then I do my weightlifting and strength training about five days a week and then finding time for plenty of other fun things. Like I do ballet class once a week. 
um, usually endurance or conditioning work. Um, like me and my roommate, um, Katie just joined Atlanta Run Club. So we started nice. that on Monday nights. Um, and then other than that, finding time to work on fights with other friends of mine in stunts, do boxing sessions, um, martial arts. Um, I used to do judo pretty heavily for about three years. Um, last November, I got foot surgery and I haven't really gone back to judo since. So that is something that I'm, I'm working on getting back to, but I used to compete and I also used to coach a little bit of kids judo. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's like kind of a general that's weekly it. schedule. Um, that's it. What, how yeah. did, you, what did you break your foot or what did you, uh, what did you do for surgery? Yeah. So I've been a dancer for 20 years now and uh, I have like pretty arched feet and obviously like dancers, we dance on our tippy toes a lot. So um, yeah, especially that ballet background, man. what I said, especially that ballet background, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so there are tiny little bones under the ball of your foot. They're called sesamoid bones. Um, this is one of the top three injuries they see in dancers. Um, I started developing foot pain like five years before I actually got the surgery. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I guess like, maybe I'll just ignore this. Saw some doctors. Like one person was like, oh, it's just arthritis. Um, mm. and I was like, I know that's not true in an isolated joint of my yeah. foot. Sure. So finally, when I saw a special, uh, specialist, foot specialist, um, they took an x-ray and they were like, this bone is absolutely blasted in pieces in your foot. <laughs> like, no wonder why you've been in so much pain. Um, yeah. you need to get this removed. So I got the bone removed. Um, so essentially I have just one of those bones missing. Nice. Um, the ligament kind of does this like a push pull system over those two bones. And so now that I don't have one, it's just had to be like a really strengthened ligament. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have this motion that goes backward on your toe, but this motion is a little bit harder for me. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, there's a little sets of my bones. We typically tell people it's like the kneecap for your toe. They're like, I have a kneecap in my toe. I'm like, yeah, kind of. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Two of them, though. Um, Very interesting recovery process though. Um, like some of the things my physical therapist had me doing, I was like, but why is this the hardest thing I've ever done? And I'm like, literally <laughs> I will say that's a unique, uh, a unique surgery there. Like, um, I don't think I've ever worked with anybody that's had their sesamoid bone removed like that. Worked with a couple of people that have like had their kneecap removed, which is like very that's similar. Like, oh my gosh. Well, it's like the similar, um, complaints that you have for your toe, right? You can't flex it forward, um, with a ton of strength. Like it's the same mechanical advantage that a kneecap provides for your quads, right? So now your quads right. don't have that same strength. So people's like knee flexion or knee extension is that sounds awful yeah. yeah yeah that's wild so like um okay so you've been a dancer for 20 years how mm -hmm. do you get the stunt work that's always been a profession like we work with a number of stunt people with over with uh ap and like man i swear that's like uh i feel like that's a career that's like i don't know you hear about it but you don't really like i growing up i knew zero people that went into stunt work right moved to atlanta i know a bunch so like how did you get your start in that absolutely so um one of the things I actually really love about stunts is that the uh, community is so diverse. Yeah. Um, people come from all kinds of backgrounds. We have like ex-military people, ex-athletes, like um, football players or soccer players or um, lots of martial artists because martial arts translates really well into stunt work. Um, and then, yeah, one of the other categories of like people who transition into stunt work is dancers. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it is interesting. Makes it's sense. not something that i had ever considered um and it's kind of funny because when i talk to people about my journey and they tell me about theirs as well almost everyone has the same sentiment where like 
when they actually got into it, they were like, wait, stunt work. I never thought about that. Like yeah. it's something that kind of like gets mentioned to you and you're like, Oh geez. And like, for yeah. me, it was a light bulb moment. So I went to SCAD um, Savannah College of Art and Design at the Savannah campus. And when I was down there, I was teaching at a dance studio and ended up starting an adult dance company. Um, so it was a nonprofit dance company and we produced shows. Um, and a few of my dancers worked in film at SCAD. Wow. And so they were the ones who brought it up to me um, actually right when the pandemic started. Um, mm -hmm. We had to like halt production and basically stop season two of the dance company. And they were like, you know, you should really get into film. And I was like, well, what would I do in film? I was like, Maybe art department, like something like that. And they're like, no, stunts. <laughs> um, <laughs> for me, like it didn't click, but I was just like, oh, crap. Yeah. Um, wait, that sounds amazing. And so I literally from then I was like, Martha says the start of my stunt double career. And then I literally started like, oh my God, crazy. Just like jumping off of benches in the park and like <laughs> doing dive rolls because this was pandemic. I was yeah. like, I'm going to go do what it looks like stunt people do. So I would yeah. like go to like the little, um, like the monkey bars and stuff in the gym. And like, I probably looked absolutely ridiculous. I didn't know what I was doing, yeah. but I was like, I'm going to jump off the highest thing that I think I can at, uh, safely hit the ground and roll. Cause that's yeah. what stunt people do. They just jump right. and roll. Right. So that was like kind of how I, I guess, started. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know what some people do. Like, uh, there's, there's badasses, right? Like, uh, yeah. what, what an organic way to get into, uh, to get into stunt work. So then, okay. So you got a couple, uh, they said you should, so you're like, sure, let me see what they do. And I'll try to monkey see monkey do. Right. And, uh, how did that, how did that progress to where you're at now? Yeah. So, um, so then I was at SCAD, um, pandemic happened. I had been working on my dance company during that semester, it was like the spring semester right before, you know, March of 2020, when everything shut down officially, I had taken that semester off because as I had been a performer my whole life, I was like, I'm going to SCAD for a career that I don't actually want to have. Um, if I'm totally honest, I was trying to please my parents um, because when I graduated high school, I moved to LA to dance professionally, didn't like it. Um, didn't work out. So my parents were like, you got to do something now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't really, um, I, I enjoyed SCAD. I enjoyed my professors there, but I was like, this is not, I know this is not for me. Yeah. Um, and that was very expensive. So I was like, um, I'm going to drop out. Yeah. So I dropped out to pursue stunts. And a lot of people told me they were like, either this is a great time for you to get into it, or it's a bad time for you to get into it because it was the middle of the pandemic. So we moved um, up here to Atlanta because my family lives here in Roswell and live with them. Um, and by me, we, I mean, me and my boyfriend, Colin, um, yeah. we moved up here and lived with my parents for a few months because of, you know, a pandemic eliminating our jobs. Yeah. And um, the first thing that I did was connect um, my friend, one of my friends who was the one who told me to get into film. Um, she was like, I know this stunt guy in Atlanta. I'm going to connect you with him. Like, just start there and see what you can do. So yeah. he is the owner of the judo gym that I actually ended up training at um, for nice. about three years. Um, and that was kind of essentially where I started and I told him like, I want to get into stunts. And so they have an open gym where stunts people meet and train together. And so a lot of stunts training is just a background in some kind of martial arts. Um, so you kind of want to be, they say you like want to be a green belt in everything. Yeah. Um, want to have a good amount of hours in lots of different disciplines. So starting with judo, because judo is like a very applicable, um, 
martial art for film. So I don't know if you've ever seen like the John Wick franchise. Oh yeah. Yeah. So all of those like shoulder throws, those are all judo based movements. Okay. Okay. Um, and as well as um, judo, judokas is what we call um, judo players okay. um, are really good at falling, learning how oh, to fall, nice. learning how to take a fall, learning how to get hurt and also fall safely and just um, really high impact stuff. So um, started out with doing that, lots of kickboxing type stuff. And then through that gym, um, I had heard of a uh, program that was happening. It was like a once in a lifetime thing. Um, a coordinator, stunt coordinator named Walter Garcia. Um, he coordinated Miss Marvel, or sorry, not Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, um, as well as a lot of other really big movies. Um, and he was hosting basically like a stunt training camp. So very prestigious and kind of like one of the first of its kind, but he was like, this is a pandemic. Um, I want to provide an opportunity for people to learn and I want to kind of help raise up the next generation of stunt performers. Um, so that was very, um, a very selective process. So there was like a whole audition to get in. There was like three part video as well as an interview. And I ended up being one of 20 performers selected from people who applied all over the U.S. and outside of the U.S. Uh, to go and do this training camp. And it was the most intense thing I've ever done in my life. It taught me exactly what it takes to actually have the grit and the toughness, mental and physical, to be a stunt performer. It was five days a week in like the dead of the heat in August. It was in a big warehouse, so no AC. Mm. Um, and we would train for about six hours a day. Um, and it was five weeks in total. So wow. it felt like literal army boot camp <laughs> bet, yeah. every single day with a run. And I cannot yeah. tell you, like, I am the worst runner. I hate running. I was yeah. always the slowest one, but I was like, I don't care because I'm going to yeah. be improved. And like, <laughs> it was great because I improved my mile time by the end of it. There you of go. Course, I was still the slowest one, but yeah. I like saved like a minute, Relative, right? like a minute yeah. 15 off my mile. And I was like, great. <laughs> That's a big chunk. That's a huge Yeah. Chunk. So we did all kinds of things in that camp, um, like judo, wrestling, um falling working on wires um so wires are the thing like essentially they put you in a big harness and jerk you around for all different kinds of reasons you know movie magic stuff um yeah yeah, yeah. so we got to learn all different kinds of disciplines through that and that was really what kind of skyrocketed my my son's career and then i had a really good year of work last year nice. and then as you know i am now on strike Oh uh, yeah. How's that? So explain that to me. Like, what is the, what is the strike process or like not process, but like, what does it mean? What are you guys fighting for? Like, I feel like yeah. this, like what, like this second one that at least I've been like privy to like over the past, like what, two, three years or so. So, um, what does that, yeah. what does that mean exactly? So actually, um, SAG, which is the screen actors guild. Um, I am also a part of SAG stunt performers, dancers, um, background, um, I could be leaving out some people, but performers in general, yeah. um, like people who are like lighting and things like that are part of a different union. Um, same with like hair and makeup, but performers who are on screen um, are part of the Screen Actors Guild. So um, I'm like trying to remember all the questions you asked. Uh, uh, I mean, to go on strike. That's probably like the best, the best question. Right. Like, what, are you guys, what are you guys fighting for when you go on strike like that? Right. So um, like our union actually hasn't been on strike for, I 
think it was something like 60 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so no, 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 no. The last strike was in like 2009. Okay. Like that. okay. Um, anyway, what we're fighting for slash against is a union called the AMPTP. It's the American uh, no Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers, AMPTP. Okay. Um, so the AMPTP is comprised of big companies like Sony, Warner Brothers, Disney, Netflix, um, all of the big companies that are putting out the big bulk of content that you see and consume these days. Um, many of these companies are also streaming services. Um, so some of the biggest concerns are better contracts in terms of wages, working conditions, and residuals. Okay. Um, in terms of thinking of like a performer's day rate, um, our day rate hasn't increased in a lengthy amount of time. And we know with inflation, um, comparing what things used to be to what they are now, the money doesn't add up. Yeah. Um, as well as the fact that I think, unfortunately, one of the things that gets like really highlighted to the mass consumer is the fact that people in movies have money. Um, yeah. And we know that about like, the elites of Hollywood and that's great and everything, but that's only a certain percent. Totally. So all of SAG together, um, 85% of people are, are like what's considered more of like a blue collar worker. Like we're like mm -hmm. the working class of SAG. So in order to qualify for SAG health insurance, you have to make at least $26,500 a year. And 85% of SAG members don't even qualify for health insurance. Wow. So that can show you, yeah exactly kind of like what is going on um that's wild and, it, and you guys get and is it like a man like i feel like the film industry is such like a gypsy lifestyle almost like we work with a lot of camera people we work with like a stunt people so like um it's like you're the not working or then all of a sudden you're on a project and you're working all the fucking time right um and, and so like how many unemployed, jobs? Unemployed, unemployed. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. So like, uh, the stability there is, uh, is tough. Right. So like, um, and then just to hear that, like, uh, just to qualify for the health insurance and the number that's required to do that and how 85% don't qualify for that. It's a, that's a huge eye opener. I think for a lot of people as regards to like what they think of the film industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the best ways that it was put, because I um, have gone to a few uh, local rallies here in Atlanta, um, our local SAG representative who goes um, to the actual meetings where they're sitting down with the AMPTP and going through negotiations, um, he said to me one of the best things, which was, um, this is not like a performance battle this is not a money battle this is a labor battle this mm. is exactly about like the work that we're putting in and to me it feels um obviously it's bittersweet we all want to be working yeah. uh, but there's a few things one it feels really important to be in this part of history because like i remember reading about strikes in history textbooks from yeah. like oil factories and things like that. I'm like, I never thought that I would be on strike in my lifetime. So <laughs> yeah. it kind of, it, it, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is that unfortunately it's been so many years that we haven't fought for what it is that we deserve, that it's created this huge sway of like an imbalance of power yeah. to these people who now hold it all and 
can hold it above us and we don't really have a lot of ground. So what's happening right now is there's almost no negotiations. Um, They're saying like, we are gonna kind of let you go homeless and unemployed until you come crawling back to us because they don't need us. Um, At least that's what it feels like. Obviously film is going to come back. We're going to go back to work because they make their money too. Um, But the thing is there are lots of performers who want the chance to be on screen that aren't a part of SAG. So now is their time to be hired because they can work and we're the ones who can't. Um, We can work on indie productions and productions um, that aren't a part of the AMPCP um, through what's called an interim agreement, as long as it is approved by our union. Um, There's not too much of going of that going on, but we do have like a running list of productions that we're able to work on. Um, So, yeah. And then um, the biggest thing that, you know, a lot of people have been hearing about is AI. Um, AI is really scary and I've actually experienced it firsthand. It happened to me on a Marvel set um, at the end of my work day. We all lined up and they put us in this giant scanner. You have to like stand still in this like specific pose and they scan you with all these cameras. Airport scanner. Mm -hmm. And so now, well, it actually is like so many flashes. (laughs) So now Marvel owns me as a background character and doesn't ever have to pay me again for putting me into the back of their Dang. Oh my God. um, You know, I've heard about that though. Like I was talking to somebody, oh man, I can't remember the name of the person. doesn't matter. Uh, But like talking about like a lot of like actors and actresses, this was years ago putting in the, I didn't even fully understand what they were talking about putting in their contracts. Like we're not allowed these deep fakes. Right. Um, I was like, what, what does that even mean? But here we are. And we can see like the impact of what that can have for sure. Especially when you project out. Cause I feel like only two years ago, everyone started to be like, Oh, Elon Musk is warning everyone about AI. Like, is it yeah. a good concern? And then it was just like, bam, here. Yep. Like there was the no, was open. it just was here. Yeah. Everyone's like, did you hear about chat GPT? And then like, <laughs> all of a sudden it's like performers and artists are being, and it's crazy that AI, the first industry that they came for was artists. Yeah. How does that check out? I know. Like, I just don't understand that. But yeah. anyway, so what's happening is, Essentially, they're trying to pay us for a day of work mm-hmm. to own our image and the rights to us for eternity and not pay us for every time our image appears on screen. Oh, my God. Obviously, yeah. we know that's not right. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, some royalties at some point at, at a minimum, right? Yeah. yeah. So, man. So yeah. Well, that's a, t- that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to unpack there. That's, that's insane about like um, the AI scanners, too, that they're having you guys use and like um trying to just like own the rights of your likeness forever like uh i don't know what other industry that works um can't even really see that in college football anymore right so um yeah. like, like actors and actresses or um anybody in sag so um well i have a friend who um works in game design and mm-hmm. uh he was saying he was designing a game for some people and then they essentially released like a play test version for some gamers in the community and he said they like completed it with ai and they got like a really bad, like overwhelming review of backlash. Like, this is just not good. We don't know what's missing, but the people didn't know that it was AI generated. Yeah. And so they had to bring him back on as an actual human to finish the game oh because it gosh. needed to be done by a human and not. Yeah. Right so- now, at least, right? Like, who knows? We're only on the first edition. You think about it like, uh, I think that's the scary part, right? Is like, 
Um, I mean, they're doing these things like the like the iPhone one, essentially, you know, like yeah. <laughs> what will happen when like you, we're at what iPhone 12, 13, 14 right now. Like um, who knows what it'll look like when uh, we have like chat GPT 17, right? Like, um, yeah, well, you know, as uh, doom and gloom as all that sounds, uh, it's the positive, I guess, that is giving you some opportunities to really focus in on some of your training and your uh, and your small group training, your personal training. How did you kind of work your way into that world? And what, uh, yeah, explain that to me. How did you work your way into personal training? Yeah. So um, I guess the start of it was when I decided to transition into a career in stunts. Um, I a knew lot of overlap that, there for sure. What'd you say? I said I could see a lot of overlap there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had been working in restaurants as a server, as a bartender, as um, I also worked in coffee as a barista and I was just so burnt out on the service industry. Like it is a very hard industry to work in. And I was like, yeah. I cannot not do this anymore. I can't make minimum wage anymore. I'm just sick of it. Yeah. And um, I knew that personal training would go really well in hand with stunts. Um, yeah. I also, um, and, and your background as a server too, you combine two yeah. really good fields for that. Your customer service standpoint, that's what it is. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, like lots of different crossover. Um, yeah. and it's actually funny. I mean, we can get back to that later, but I think I like, you know, a lot of people, when they get into personal training, they're like, Oh, this is teaching people how to lift weights, but like 85% of it is customer service totally. and just interacting with humans. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I've been lifting weights since I was like 18. Um, and I used to work with personal trainers myself. And I was like, I know so much about lifting weights. I know so much about the body. I'm so passionate about these things. And so like, basically when I went into like getting my certification, I was like, oh, I already know these things. And it's like yeah. a lot easier to become educated about something or like pass an exam when you're already passionate about it. Like you enjoy the learning when you're like, oh, this is so cool. Like, yeah. I'm super <laughs> yeah, into anatomy. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I totally nerd out on it. Like yeah. I'm into anatomy. I'm into the science side of, um, everything you learn as a personal trainer. Um, and I also was vegan for about six years. And so one of my bigger things was like having a plant-based lifestyle and just an overall, um, scope of health, um, full, I guess like fully rounded, like well-rounded, mm -hmm. um, on every aspect as a human so I was like yeah this this seems like it makes sense so I literally was like all right getting my personal training certification I did like you know six months to do it and um it just so happened that like the one of my friends was like oh I have this friend who's opening a personal training gym in in, in park you should meet with her yeah. um you know is Elsie um who opened yeah yeah she is she's a boss lady yeah um, and so we sat down and met in like in October and the gym didn't officially open until January. So I think I was one of like the three or five original trainers hired on at training. Nice. Club. An OG. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, let's see. Um, yeah, I'm like, I, I was trying to figure out if there's anything else I wanted to say about that transition into personal training. I think that's pretty much it. So with your diverse background that you have of dance, stunt, service, um, how do you typically approach like a personal training session? With a client I already know or like- Yeah, great question. So say this is, <laughs> say this is somebody coming in for their very first time, right? Like 
they listen to the podcast like this woman sounds sweet let me go work with her like what would that first session look like for a new onboarding client yeah so when i onboard a client the first thing i do is just sit down and talk to them like I don't care about watching you do walking lunges across the floor because I already know you're going to come to me to lift weights. I'm going to watch you lift weights for the next entirety of our journey. And I'm going to continue to correct your form as you lift those weights. So I sit them down and I'm like, I'm going to give you the microphone. I want you to tell me about why you want to work with a personal trainer. I want to tell you, I want you to tell me about what you expect to get from working with me. Um, Tell me about your goals and things that you want to achieve while we work together, Um, as well as telling me a little bit about your background, either in athletics, if you've played any sports or anything, if you currently do like yoga or Pilates, or if you're a tennis player. And then the very last thing I ask is also tell me if you have any injuries or like limitations to exercise. And if there are any exercises that you really hate, because I don't make I do make my clients do a lot of things they don't want to do. Yeah. A client comes to me and they're like, I absolutely hate running. I'm not going to make them run on a treadmill or like, it's like, that's not what they're coming to me for. You know? Totally. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Like exercise should definitely be, um, you know, you get, sometimes you got to do things that suck, right? Like things that you do things that suck that make you better. Right. But um, man, if you hate running and I, and you as a trainer or me as a PT or whomever you work with, makes you run every day you go in there that's a punishment that's not a reward and training is supposed to be a reward you're giving back to yourself you're working it's interesting it's a workout but you're really working in right you're giving back to yourself so um i totally get that and, and appreciate that for sure yeah um so yeah i mean like with um i also will ask people with uh with their background in fitness i'm like you know tell me about things that you like to do in the gym like what are some movements and things that you enjoy doing? yeah um, so I'll, I'll try to incorporate things that people what's the, like. what's the exercise that people like the most typically coming in and working with you Ooh. or what's the one that they're like, Nope, don't like that. Um, usually squats. <laughs> yeah. They don't like squats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think actually the most, the, the most overwhelming common response I get is do not make me do burpees. Mm, yeah. That's good. That's fine. I yeah. some like former athletes that I always make them do burpees. Oh, man. Some people, I make them do modified burpees. But at the same time, I'm like, I can give you plyometrics that aren't burpees that are going to get your heart rate up in the same way. So yeah. I don't have to make you do burpees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't have to give you burpees. And then, uh, man, we had to do burpees this weekend as part of this like um, training competition where it was like a burpee plus like a, like lifting this like 40 pound bar, not even a bar. It was like a log or whatever. Right. It's called, um, what was it called? A Ram log. Um, yeah. Had to like lift that up over your head. So really what it turned to do, and it was at the very end of this training, uh, workout. So it was like, you had 10 different stations at the very end. And really what it just turned into was like a push up with like a modified snatch at the end of it. Right, right, right. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It was two movements for sure. It wasn't streamed together very nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I get that, man. Burpees are the worst. And then what about like a favorite exercise? What do you typically, uh, people come in like, "Mm, man, I love this. You know, what's crazy. Um, a lot of times because women are stronger in their lower bodies and men be stronger in their upper bodies. Um, women carry most of their muscle mass below the waist. You know that. Um, and so a lot of women really like to do, um, hip thrusts and things that, um, grow the glutes. But what I would say is ironically, 
so many of my uh, female clients are like, well, I love upper body stuff. Like, yeah. Accessory lifts that get like your delts, your triceps. Um, triceps are a big one, man. Um, I will say another thing that people really hate is push-ups. People oh, yeah. Hate. Push-ups suck. Yeah. Why are these so hard? I'm like, push-ups are always hard. Kind of go hand-in-hand hand with burpees, I guess, right? Kind of like a push-up. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess like uh, people like and hate hip thrusts. They're like a love-hate relationship. It's like yep. these because they're so effective. Um but I hate them because they're hard. <laughs> yeah. You can start lifting some big weight pretty quick in those thrusts too, which is always a fun thing, right? Yeah. Like women can crush some hip thrusts. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, are you familiar with Brett Contreras at all by chance? I am. Yeah. That dude is like the king of the hip thrust. Um, it it's, it's wild, man. That dude was doing glute work before like doing glute work was the cool thing. I know. Do, you know? Yeah. I know it's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. So then, uh, so once you, so you, uh, what if somebody wanted to do like a group training uh, program with you? What does that look like? Yeah. So, um, I guess like to formally finish answering your question about like a first session with a client, yeah, sorry, um, go for it. You no, know, it's okay. Cause I feel like I kind of skipped over it and just went to like consultation. Um, I will talk to them first and then we'll schedule their first session because I'll give them an idea of like what I think a good training style would look like for them. And so then when they come in for their first session, you know, I'll try to gauge a weight that I think feels good for them. Um, and then depending on how it goes, like either give them more weight or give them less weight. Um, and typically the style that I do with almost all of my clients is a mix of functional and athletic style training. So when I say functional, we always do a nice long mobility warmup. Um, and then things with kettlebells where you're either moving around a fixed point or swinging around the weight, um, in order to engage your core. Um, and then I also love to do compound lifts with clients. I, I tend to try to keep everyone on the same, like three to four compound lifts to track their progress through those. So, um, bench press, back squats, hip thrusts, um, and deadlifts. Um, I have pretty much all my clients deadlifting because deadlifting is my favorite exercise. And I think totally. there's so many benefits to deadlifting and, um, it just makes you feel so strong to like yep. lift that. And there's something very like, uh, uh, mm, elemental, I guess about like, um, just picking heavy weight off the ground, right? Yeah. Like it's very like rudimentary and like uh just very like um rooted in our beings, I guess. Like just it yeah. feels good to pick something heavy up off the ground. Like yeah, that, it's right? deep in there. It's primal. Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> sure. Primal. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I'll say that like I um I found really cool um when I got into personal training um and got to see like tons of different kinds of bodies. Um I am a very uh biomechanical coach mm -hmm. and i like to maybe it's a little bit different than other personal trainers um i care about form but i care about form based on your structure yeah. um so i like to correct form to the point where you're not going to get injured but i do think that there are things that you can tweak here and there in your posture on how you do specific lifts so that it feels better for your body and you're going to get the most out of that exercise um you know some people like people who have um long arms when they deadlift they want to do more of a traditional stance deadlift and then if you have longer legs and your arms can't reach the barbell they want to do like a sumo or like a hybrid sumo and you're not going to get um you know 
one or the other is better and like let's modify and stack some plates so we can make sure you do a traditional stance deadlift like we care about activating the posterior chain and growing as many you know as much muscle mass for your body that is possible and so i'm really about training within the bounds of your anatomy um and based on optimizing like your biomechanics um and so kind of where i was going with that is like I found it really astounding when I came um, into personal training that if you hand somebody a weight, show them how to do an exercise, 90% of the time, humans naturally know what to do. Yeah. So before I even go into correcting their posture, I want to see what they do. And for the most part, everyone is like, okay, like <laughs> you're <Yeah. laughs> good. Um, yeah. which I think is so cool. Um, and then, you know, it's like here or there, like there are some things, weaknesses, like obviously like knees come in on squats pretty often, or like there are balance issues. Um, but for the most part, like people really naturally know what to do, even if they've never picked up a weight in their life. And I think yeah. that's, <laughs> well, you think, yeah, I think that's amazing too. And a great observation because you think about it and like, um, exercise is like, it's human made, right? Like, it's not like, uh, yeah, um, it's yeah. it's pretty innate in the fact that like, you know, these are movements that we should be able to do. But then also at the end of the day, like, uh, there's a reason not, we made them. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason we made them. But then also like, uh, there's there's like a range of safety with or like a range of good form that we'll look at, right? Like, you've got like, we give people bumper guards, right? And as long as you're within these bumper guards, like, you're gonna be all right, you know, um, you know, you start looking at it from like a little bit of a deeper standpoint. And like, you know, somebody might have a little bit more like, uh, hip external rotation versus internal rotation range of motion on one side versus the other. You could be different side to side. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and then like your, your technique will kind of change based off of like, we see it all the time where somebody comes in they have like a super tight posterior capsule of their hip. And like, they don't, a deadlift doesn't feel super comfortable or squat doesn't feel very comfortable. We get that opened up. And I was like, Oh, my, my form feels different now. I was like, well, yeah, yeah. you got better range. Right. Or like, so like it's dynamic at the end of the day. Right. Oh yeah. As long well, as and speaking on that, um, what you just touched on, like literally every single one of my clients, I'm like, go to a PT, go sure. to a PT. Yeah. Literally like, even That's if amazing. nothing's wrong with you, I'm like, go see a PT, like oh, you man. in your life. Um, yeah. I'm obsessed with my physical therapist, but like anytime any of my clients have like some kind of muscle is bothering them or like they have a neck thing or like, you know, something's weird or off. They're like, oh, I think I'm going to go see my doctor. I'm like, don't go to your doctor. Yeah. Go <laughs> like, yeah. please don't go to your doctor. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, like if you have like a weird rash, right? Don't right. go to your doctor, right? Like, uh, or if your stomach feels pretty upset, go to your doctor. But if you have like a weird back pain, you should probably go to somebody that like works with back pain all day long, right? So, um, and I think MDs will be the first one to on it to be the, like a good MD will be the first one to tell you like, man, don't come to me yet. You don't need me for anything. Uh, go, go try other things first and mm -hmm. then come to me when those don't work. Cause like, uh, man, if you're going to do an MD, um, or, or an ortho surgeon, um, they're probably going to tell you to do the same thing anyway. Right. Um, but then if you do decide that you need imaging, like you're typically looking at imaging for a potential surgery. So like, if you don't even want a surgery, then like, um, you know, probably shouldn't probably like you with your foot, right. You tried all these different routes and all of a sudden, and then nothing works. So you went to a specialist, got an MRI, found this smashed, um, sesamoid bone. You're like, mm, gotta get that taken out. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. That's really good coaching on your part to <laughs> recognize that. Yeah. Thank you. And man, and we love working with personal trainers too, because like, um, we really, tr we truly do look at personal trainers as like the EMS for the healthcare system, right? Like, um, like you guys get to work with people on a much more consistent basis than we do. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, at most, we might get to see somebody for a short period of time at like one time per week or something like that. Right. Um, and then it's like, gonna maybe it's like once every other week, or maybe it's like once a month, regardless, we're not seeing them a ton. Right. Or at, at comparative or comparatively to the person that they trust with their strength and wellness, health and wellness, um, their personal trainers, right? Like a personal trainer, you could work with somebody multiple times a week, you have a good relationship with that person. Man, if we could work tan- in tandem with uh, personal trainers, like the the client is going to be so much better off, right? Um, yeah. I, so, I always say that too. Like, I'm like, I think, you know, there's obviously like HIPAA things and guidelines that you have perfect. to follow to have each other communicate. But like, I have a client who's been dealing with like a hamstring issue and like, went to a PT and she was like, here's what happened in my consultation. This is everything she recommends. And I was like, cause everything that she recommended <laughs> working on. Yeah. Um, yes. And so I felt like a good trainer, but at the same time, she also was like, Oh, and she also gave me um, her email address so that you guys can communicate. And I'm like, yeah, it's a big yes. deal. Cause a lot of times like it's, well, I mean, sometimes you don't get that connection, but it's so important to be able to chat with the other healthcare professionals um, to figure out how to best serve the client. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then figuring out how to best serve the client. Uh, so you do, so not only, so small group training is amazing, I think, for a couple of things, a couple of reasons. One, uh, people still get that personalized touch within their training system or training uh, session. But they don't have to suffer alone and feel like you're just staring at them all day long, right? Yeah. Uh, which is, which has its pros and its cons for sure. But uh, small group training can bring a certain energy around with it as well. So, uh, yes, yeah. Thank you for bringing me full circle. We're back. Yeah. To- <laughs> no, you're great. No, you're you're fine. So, like with small group training, what's kind of like uh, the motivation there, and like why, like uh, as somebody, like what is a small group training uh, session? How does that differ for you compared to a personal training session? Yeah. So um, the. First reason I started small group training um, was to provide an option that was affordable to people because mm. I know that not everyone can work with a personal trainer at $100 an hour once a week, even once a month. Um, yeah. That's not affordable, um, but people still want to be guided by a strength coach, not something that's like a big group class where it's a lot of people. It's moving really quickly. There's not enough eyes on you. So I limit my women's class to 10 people so that I can make sure I have eyes on everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, The way that I run my group class is um, we alternate. um, It's just one day a week and it's $30 a class, which again is like a super affordable option. Our workout. Um, We start with a warm up. a nice mobility warm up, get our heart rate up and also get the body ready to move. Um, and then I alternate push, pull and thrust days. So on those days specifically, we have different compound lifts that we focus on. So on push days, we focus on back squats on pull days. We focus on deadlifts and then on thrust days, we do hip thrusts. Um, so I guess like thrust days, sometimes I turn it into like a posterior day. I'll do um, a mixture of exercises that are posterior chain focused, um, as well as like maybe like push press and um, different things like that, that are more like uh, plyometric movements. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, the thing about women's class that makes it a little bit different from um, personal training is that it's hands-on and hands-off at the same time. So um, I go through all of the exercises that we do at one time at the start of the class um, and I have them up on a whiteboard. So the um, students know what the exercises are, but then they'll refer back to the whiteboard to see where do we go next? What's the next thing? Uh, And so we do basically circuit training for the entire hour. We do 12 exercises. 
one of those exercises is the compound lift. And so that's where people are going to spend a little more time, either loading weights if they want to squat or thrust more or less if they want less. Um, and so for those ones, I'll tend to go to the person who's doing the compound lift and make sure that they're doing it right. Coach the form more so on those ones. And then everything else is a mixture of like accessory lifts that complement what we're working on. So like with push day, we'll do like maybe walking lunges. We'll do a dumbbell bench press or like a seated shoulder press. And then I'll do a mixture of, um, weight training things. And then I'll also add plyos in there because I just love plyometrics. So like yeah. lunge jumps or burpees. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I do love burpees yeah. <laughs> and then core work as well. So um, it's a good mixture of things. And the thing that I like about it, um, a couple things that I like about the way that I formatted it is um, you can challenge yourself to the level that you want to go or taper it down, depending on how you're feeling. So typically what I'll do is I'll wait till everyone gets through the first round and I'll say, Hey, now you felt all the weights. You can yeah. see where you can maybe go up a little bit, or you need to take it down a little bit, because if you're going to do four more rounds of this, maybe you don't feel comfortable kettlebell deadlifting 62 pounds and you want to take it down to like 45. Um, and the, you know, just however they need to taper it or, or add to it to get the most out of their workout. And yeah. then the other thing is that, um, it's kind of a crossfitty in the way that you're going for time. Yep. So you're going for as many rounds as you can in the 45 minutes of work that we're doing 45 to 50 minutes of work that we're doing. So your rest periods are self-paced. If yeah. you're absolutely gassed out from the assault bike, you can take a minute get some water, reset and go into the next exercise. Nice. Um, or if you're just like absolutely on fire that day, you can just run through it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a little self-paced, which is really nice, but then you also still have me there coaching and guiding. And then you're right with group classes. Um, I think this is really special because it is like, you know, specifically a women's strength class. Um, we have like really good banter going on the whole time. Mm -hmm. Everyone's encouraging each other or, you know, complaining about the one exercise that just is like so crap, yeah. it's so hard to get through. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like having conversations about different things. I think actually like literally last week we were talking about physical therapists because we were yeah. talking about how awful it is to get needled, but yeah. how you feel so much better. So it's worth it. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's fun. It's good energy. People are excited and, and ready to be there. Um, and you know, there's camaraderie in that. And also like being able to see, uh, what your friends are doing and see if you can either get on their level, like they can challenge you a little bit. Um, you know, people encourage each other as well. So that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. great. Um, well, Aaron, this has been, we've talked, we've talked about, uh, <laughs> You're, you're starting a nonprofit in Savannah. We've talked about um, your work, how you got into the stunt work. We've talked about SAG. You've given me some insight on the um, worker strike that's going on right now. We've talked about personal training, small group training, um, just a wealth of knowledge. If somebody wanted to, if they were really connected with some of the things that you're saying, or if they wanted to see, or if they wanted to learn more about who you are, what are some really good ways for them to get in contact with you? Yeah. So I would say, um, if you're trying to contact me, like business-wise, if you want to talk about personal training or your goals, um, visit my website. It's Aaron-Naturally.com. 
Um, and you can surf through the whole website, but if you want to specifically like contact me, it would just be slash, uh, backslash inquiry. Um, cause that's like my inquiry page on where people can contact me. And on my inquiry page, it also explains all my services and my offerings so that it's right there when you're about to submit, like, Hey, I'm interested. And you have the facts right there. Yeah. Um, so website inquiry form, um, and then my Instagram at Aaron naturally, um, all one word, there's two ends, Aaron naturally. Um, I post links to sign up for my strength and conditioning class and my dance class on Thursdays. The link is in my bio, but I post it on my story like every week. Nice. Um, kind of stay up to date on that. Um, the, both of those, uh, strength and conditioning and dance class require registration in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a Google form registration. Um, so those are two really good places to connect with me. Um, yeah. And then you know, like my emails on my website, but the inquiry yeah. form just comes directly to my email. So yeah. Nice. So website, social media, um, and definitely if you're like, uh, if you want to, uh, from a client standpoint, go to that backslash inquiry.com. Um, so yeah, Aaron, Thank you so much for getting on the podcast. This has been an amazing, uh, got to learn so much about you and your services, your background. Um, I do love like, uh, that you're kind of like a, um, a little bit of a jack of all trades here. So, uh, thanks so much for, uh, getting on. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.